This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fit Nation. Awesome. Turn that bottle up and drag it, crank that jukebox up and hack it. Bartender for another round. Here's to our best bad decision situation, no conditions, old memories we all need to drown. So fill your cup, raise it up. Jump in, join the club, and float this whiskey river reservoir. We're gonna spend the weekend in the deep end of the dive bar. Come up in here, you're not the only love that left or lost and lonely one who's ever swam against the tide. Thank you, this is your oasis. It's the safest of places that a broken heart can find a hide. Misfit Nation. If you've not had a chance to check out our first book, The 13 Step Guide to Success, it is available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback varieties. If you're going through a tough time or hard times, you don't have to go alone. Reach out to a friend and chat it out. If you're too embarrassed to talk to a friend or feel like you'll be a burden to them, call the crisis hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And if you're a veteran, press option one. Please do not make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. 
If you're a new listener, we appreciate you joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast apps. Also download the Military Broadcast Radio app to follow our family of shows. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Underscore Misfit Nation. This will keep you up to date with the latest episodes of The Misfit Nation and also allow you to hear the amazing stories of our guests. Speaking of which, our next guest has been speaking and performing on the live stage <clears throat> excuse me, since the age of six. That's over 53 years ago. From Ottawa, Canada, he's an award-winning global speaker and for over 30 years has been training and mentoring professional speakers, coaches, and nonfiction authors around the world to bring their message and expertise to the live or virtual platform in a unique and transformational way. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Steve Lowell. Welcome, Steve. How are you? I'm great, Rich. Thanks so much for having me on. This is great. It's a great world we live in where we can reach out and find people across the world without having to pay for them big plane tickets or, or send expensive packages to find people. Now, the, the digital world makes it a lot easier for guys like me and you to connect over just basically a click of a button. Yeah, you bet. You know, it's uh, it's been really great over this uh, last two years as the world has changed and uh, new challenges have popped up for, you know, guys like me who earn a living standing in front of audiences and speaking, you know, and, uh, but now this is, you know, my audience now is a, you know, a little green light on the camera. <laughs> a little green light. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Steve, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and how, how you got in. I mean, I don't want to go all the way back to the age of six when you started on the live stage, but as far as back as you want to go to where we are now and how you got this drive to, and passion to do this. Yeah, sure. Well, why don't we go back to the age of six? Okay. <laughs> so at the age of six, uh, I was uh, like a little guitar player. I was in a little skinny guy, big glasses, you know, and, uh, and I was a little itty bitty guy playing this big guitar. I could barely reach across it. Uh, but I started performing at the age of six. And I, you know, part of performing is you got to talk to the audience, you know, you got to speak. And so um, by the time I was in my teens, I had my own band and we were touring the country and I was the front man in the band. And, and then in my 20s, early 20s, maybe 19, 20, something like that, I saw a video of a guy named Zig Ziglar and uh, you know, I'd never heard of him before, but I saw this video and I thought, this is great. I mean, here's a dude, like he's on this stage. Uh, his audience isn't drunk. Uh, you know, he's got, <laughs> he's got no bandmates that are doing drugs. He's got no equipment, just him and a microphone and he's having a great time. I thought, I want to, I want to do that. So um, I joined some training programs and some companies and I learned how to, how to speak. And then I became a professional speaker. And then I started training professional speakers. And for the last 35 years, I've been training elite professional speakers, uh, coaches, speakers, trainers, consultants all across the world. And that's, uh, that's how I got into it. Wow. I mean, I mean it, it's a, a quick journey <laughs> from six till now is a quick uh, move from playing the guitar. I, I can just picture like uh, in the movie, like the interview where they have the, the little, the Korean boy playing the guitar for the audience. And he's real small, <laughs> that huge guitar playing. That was, I was picturing, picturing when you were saying that. So excuse yeah. me if that's, that makes me feel weird, but that's what I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, you know, it was, it, it sounds like a quick journey when you tell it. But right. uh, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff happened in those years. I mean, I'm 60, you know, so a lot of uh, I've been on the stage now. What's that? That's 54 years. So a lot of things have happened in 54 years. Well, a lot of things have changed and uh, still people people are still the same. They just have different ways of being the same now. So what was your biggest, uh, I guess, your biggest audience you've ever spoken in front of? And and how did you get that booking? Oh, boy. Um I don't know what the biggest one is, several thousand, eight, maybe 10,000, something like that. And there's been a few of those because part of my journey is I'm um, a past president of 
what's called the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. And, and there are associations like that all around the world. Uh, and so I'm president now of something called the Global Speakers Federation. And, and so as part of all of that journey, being with the associations and running my business and, um, and connecting with uh, big players in the speaking business, you know, like Jack Canfield and some others, I've had the opportunity to, to be in front of some large audiences. And it's been, it's been really great. I bet the, the energy you feel when you're talking to the live audience is, is amazing. You can feel the give, the give and take and looking into the eyes and the, the, the movement of the audience. And then when you said like early before looking at the green light now, it, it's got to be a little, little disheartening knowing how many people you were able to be in front of. And I mean, you're still in front of a lot of people, but you can't really gauge what's going on. How does that feel? Well, it's, it certainly took some getting used to. I mean, I've been doing you know, virtual training for a long time, but usually my virtual training is me and one other person, maybe, you know, two or three other people. But, um, you know, now I'm speaking sometimes to hundreds and, and, and even thousands of people behind that little green light. Um, but on, you know, the thing is with, with some platforms like Zoom, I can see a lot of them, right? So I've got, you can't see it here. I'm in my studio right now, but I got kind of TVs all over the place here. So I can set it up so that I can see everybody and at least a lot of them. And so that gives it, you know, a little bit of energy. I can look around and I can engage with people somewhat, you know, um, but you know, it's, it's true. There's, there's nothing like the energy of a live audience. And, and we're starting to get back into that now. So we've done some live gigs over the past few weeks. We have some more coming up. But I got to tell you, though, I got to tell you, Rich, uh, I got to, I kind of like, you know, getting out of my, my chair up in my living room, throwing on a jacket, coming to my studio, you know, doing this. Uh, and then turn around and going back, cracking open a beer. You know, I kind of—I mean, you don't even know if I'm clothed from the way right. you have no idea what I'm wearing down here. You know, so same. Yeah, same, right? Yeah, same. So, but it's gotten—it's good. It's gotten really—you uh, know—I'm comfortable with it now. I, I do miss the live audience. But what's really interesting is if an organization is going to pay me to speak, they're going to pay me a lot more to, you know, to get on a plane and give up two, right. two, three days of my time to go to their place and, and do all that. Um, so they're going to pay me a lot more to do that than, than to do this. And, and, you know, frankly, we, we do, we do quite well like this. So I'm, I'm really digging it. I, I really like it. And I think it's a, one of the perks of doing the studio from home because you open one door, you're in your studio, you close that door, you're right back and watching TV or like you yeah. said, drinking a beer. Now for yeah. me downstairs, yeah. I have my bar pop open yeah. a beer or drink some bourbon and hang out and then come right back to yeah. the studio. It's yeah. always fun. Yeah. So on your yeah. bio, it says, uh, think differently plus think differently equals see, sell more. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit? Yes. Yeah. So a lot of my work, um, Rich, is really with entrepreneurs, um, coaches, consultants, authors, nonfiction authors, speakers, you know, and, and what I've found is, you know, they all have something to sell. And so when you talk to a, a, an entrepreneur, especially speakers, coaches, trainers, authors, consultants, that group, um, they all kind of look and sound the same. And even though in their mind, they're different to the world out there, they look and sound kind of the same. And so my work is to teach them how to think a little bit differently about their market, about their audience, about their prospects and their clients, um, and think about their needs a little differently and then speak differently to those needs than everybody else. So it's just a matter of changing the way they think a little bit, changing the way they speak a little bit, and it makes a big difference in, in the results. So I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the things I'll do is when I'm in front of an audience, either a virtual audience or a live audience, I'll often ask this question. I'll say, put up your hand if, if you or somebody you know is in the market for a tennis instructor. 
And, you know, and, and usually nobody hand, no hands go up. Like, I mean, I'll ask you, Rich. I mean, do you know anybody who's in the market for a tennis instructor? I do not. Yeah, no, you don't, right? <laughs> and, but you know something? I'm going to guess that you do. I'm going to guess that either you yourself or somebody you know is in the market for a tennis instructor right now. And this is what I tell the audience, right? And I play it up a little, you know, if I say, you know, there's 200 people here. I'm going to guess 50 of you are either in the market for a tennis instructor right now or you know somebody who is. Uh, and, and, and so then I tell him about this guy named Brian and Brian came to me about 18 years ago and he said, Steve, I'm going to all the networking groups, you know, I'm, I'm talking to all the people, I'm uh, taking up all the business cards, making all the phone calls. And he said, I'm not getting the business that I need. I said, well, Brian, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a tennis instructor. And so we see what the market is for tennis instructors. I mean, I've asked that question, Rich, to audiences all over the world and no hands ever go up. Right. But what we taught Brian was, uh, you know, just to think a little bit differently about his market and speak a little bit differently about himself can really make a difference to how he's perceived by that audience. And so if you saw Brian today and you said, Brian, what do you do? He'd say something like this. He'd say, well, you know how sometimes kids have so much energy, they're bouncing off the walls and the parents get so frustrated because they have no idea what to do with these kids. He'd say, well, what I do is I take kids of any age. I bring them on a tennis court. I absolutely exhaust them, and then I hand them back to their parents. And so and then I ask the audience, put up your hand if you know somebody who might be in the market for a tennis instructor. And all of a sudden, all of these hands go up, right? And so the point is that just by changing the way you think about what you're presenting and changing the way you present it just a little bit, and often mean the difference between I'm not interested and tell me more. Right. And it'll, it'll boost that sale without it. Just change your perspective. We'll, change the, we'll make the sale a lot easier for you and, and for the person that you're trying to help out as well. Yeah, That's outstanding. Exactly. <laughs> My granddaughter can definitely use some, uh, some tennis lessons, I guess. Yeah. You see, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, somebody, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> outstanding. So a lot of, you said you work with a lot of authors and consultants and such should should the author feel like they're going broke trying to sell their book or should they make their book sell them? Yeah. You see, this is, this is a big thing. And um, you know, I, I'm an author and, and I made this mistake on my, you know, my first book that I, that I wrote, I thought, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to sell a bazillion copies and I'm going to be one of the richest men in the world. You know? <laughs> and of course, you no, know, of course that didn't happen. And I think my mom bought one and I think that was about <laughs> it. Um, you know, <laughs> so I, I meet so many because of the line of work that I'm in, I meet so many nonfiction authors because, you know, coaches and thought leaders and all these people, they, they all write books. They're, they're told to write books, write a book, you know, and, and that's not bad advice. It's good advice to, to write a book. But there's this misconception among so many of them that writing the book, um, you know, is, is the hard part. And once the book is written, you just put it up on Amazon and people are going to buy it. And, and that's just not the reality for 99.9%, you know, of people who write books now unless you're lucky enough to get picked up by a major publisher, and then you may have a chance of making some money with your book. But generally, people don't make money with their book, and they try to. And then what happens is they start doing things like paying for Facebook ads and, uh, you know, and other social media ads, and they run campaigns, and they do all kinds of, you know, they drive themselves nuts just to get people to buy a $20 book, you know. 
And so what I found is the, the value in the books for me was not about selling the books. The value in the books was about using the books to drive traffic to me as a coach and then get them into my high ticket coaching programs. So that there's a strategy I built around that about how do you actually take the book that you've written and position it as a lead magnet to you. And you take those people that come in, service them in a certain way, and then sign them up into whatever high ticket programs you've got. Definitely. And with my first book, it was a challenge to write it. I was challenged to write it based mm. off of posts I made during the first year of the pandemic, which was Based off every month, I'd make a post saying, uh, "Welcome to this level of Jumanji," because you know each month there was something more crazy going on, and you made yeah. it to this level. And so my daughter said, "Why don't you just, you just put that into a book?" And that's what I did. That's how I came up with the thirteen step guide to success. Yeah, There's thirteen steps because uh, I added one at the last month, and that it made it that made it the book. But I never went into it thinking I'm going to be a millionaire. I just went into it because she challenged me, and and to get the voice out at least get one person to read it. And you know, my dad did buy it. He was the first person to buy it and I signed it for him. So that made me feel great. <laughs> Good. That's cool. Well, you know, that's interesting because I, my first book was kind of forced as well because I, um, I was working with so many authors, you know, 98% of my clients were authors because authors, you know, they, they write the book and then they want to get out and speak. And I was a speaker coach for many years and I still am. And so I was working with all of these authors, teaching them how to take their message and bring it to the platform. And then, but the problem was I, I always felt a little bit out of place with that group because I wasn't an author. I didn't have a book. And so I thought, well, I better write the book. Uh, and so I, you know, I wrote the book and got it just sort of, you know, got it done. Uh, and, and there it is. And so I've, I've done three books now and now I'm getting pressure to write another one. So I'll probably have to do that too. You know, <laughs> okay, I'll do it. Yeah, fine. I'll write the book. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't really enjoy writing. I don't know about you, Rich, but I don't really enjoy writing that much. And, and I enjoy it once I get into it, but getting into it, I find is really difficult to get me. How did you, how do you do it? Like, do you enjoy writing? Did you, did you like writing your book? I did actually enjoy writing it. I, I wrote blogs okay. for a while and uh, throughout my career in the military, I, I always write down what we were doing, what we did that day. So I'd remember mm -hmm. in case something happened to you and other people can read it as well. So again, I think the challenge to write that one was to write it for others to see it. That was the only real challenge, but uh, I enjoy writing and I'm doing a, my doctorate right now. So I do a lot of writing for that. And that's yeah. different. That's different writing. That's for, that's really forced writing and uh, academic, academic writing is a lot different than just writing and, but I do enjoy it. I, I take time out at least every day to write at least a couple pages here or maybe 10 pages at a time. You know, you said that you were writing uh, while you were in the military and sort of journaling what was going on. And, and that, that's a really good thing to do, because I'll tell you, I spent a lot of years on the road with the band and we played in, in places but there's no no reason for anybody to ever go there unless they're in the band playing there. And, you know, and so we used to have so many strange things happen to us on the road, as I'm sure a lot of things happen to you, um, you know, in the military. But we, what we used to tell people is, you know, we'd have to lie to you about those stories because you would never believe the truth. Um, just so many weird things. But we never journaled. And looking back on that, I thought I, I so wish that I had been aware enough to journal those experiences because there would have been, you know, some really great stories that would have been recorded there. Uh, and I, but I just never really in, enjoyed writing and I just never did it. I, I wish now that I had. Yeah. I think of growing up in a Catholic school, you know, they made you write all the time and do that stuff. Mm. And I guess it stuck with me. Uh, uh, Sister Adrienne, she, she challenged me to write neater or she, and she'd give me a red pen if I wrote neater. And I, I never got that red pen. So she said, I'd become a doctor. 
that never happened either. I went in the military. So, but I kept writing uh, my first uh, tour to Ramadi, Iraq. I think I wrote, it was probably 300 something pages. I wrote 370 pages. I wrote that year yeah. just for that tour. And I have volumes in the house. I still have to decipher what I wrote because my handwriting is atrocious, but I can probably get through most of it and type it out now. Yeah. There's a great personal manifesto for you. I mean, what a legacy that could be for you. Right. And for those I served with who maybe yeah, didn't absolutely. take, didn't take any notes and just, flew by the seat of their pants over there. So yeah. Yeah. that's, that's a great thing. So what's the biggest factor for you to motivated to uh, get other speakers to get out there and become speakers or be better speakers? Yeah. You know, uh, like you, you have a story. I mean, you went and you served, served your country, put yourself in harm's way. And a lot of things happened over there, I'm sure. And, and you've got stories to tell. And a lot of people have stories to tell. Most people do. And what always bothered me was that so many people that I've met had very powerful stories. I mean, stories with lessons in them that could transform lives, but they didn't really have the skills or the uh, talent to be able to present these stories to people on a platform, on a stage, or, or now on, on, on a screen. And there's so many courses out there that you can take on how to tell the stories, and they're all bad. All, you know, I've never seen a really good storytelling course, and I've seen hundreds of them, and they're just, they're just not good. Um, and so I watch people tell stories, uh, and I think it's such a profound, powerful story. There's so much more that this person could do with this story, um, but they just don't know how. They've never been taught how. And so that was a big part of the driver for me in becoming a speaker coach. And, and it, it was just all innate stuff, stuff that I just learned on my own and uh, and I got all kinds of neuroscience to back up everything I teach and all, all that kind of stuff. But the big driver for me is, you know, if you have a story, this is, this is my personal opinion, you know, if, if you have a story, if you've lived through something, if you've experienced something, if you've crashed through some barriers, or if you have been through some challenges, climb some mountains, you know, I think you have more than just an opportunity to share your story. I kind of feel like you have an obligation to share your story because, you know, we, we go through these things in our lives and, and, some of them are really horrible. Some of them are great. Some of them are really, really terrible. But we accumulate knowledge through these stories. We accumulate wisdom through these stories. And, and wisdom, in my, in my mind, wisdom should never be contained. Uh, wisdom is to be shared. Wisdom is, is to be extended to the benefit of others. That's why we earn it. Otherwise, why were we there? What was the point of it all if, if we're not going to take what we've accumulated and use it to help other people and to teach other people and to share with other people? So that was a big driver for me. If you've had a story, I think you have an obligation to tell it. And I was always the guy who could help you tell it well. Definitely. And I think storytelling is, is an art in uh, being able to figure out the reason why, the why behind the story and how to propel it out to others is an awesome thing to do. And like you said, wisdom kept inside is wisdom lost. If I don't tell my story to my daughter or her to her, her next uh, next her next line it's just a lost story it just stays with me goes into into wherever i go when i pass away and no one will ever know what happened so you have to keep sharing everything we both do in our lives yeah absolutely so it, you talked earlier that you work with a lot of entrepreneurs as well to get their stories out and maybe help them uh, boost their sales within their entrepreneurial uh, ventures a lot of our audience is uh, veteran entrepreneurs, or I would call them veteranpreneurs. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give them as they, they transition from wearing the boots and go into the brick and mortar or online storing or whatever kind of entrepreneurial venture they're going into? 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Um, and I, I'm going to provide an answer. The, the, the honest truth is I don't really feel qualified to answer because I'm not a veteran. And, and, and veterans are in a different class in my mind, right? I mean, I'm from Canada and, and we hold our veterans in very high esteem, just like they do in, in the US and a lot of other countries. So there's a different level of uh, honor to the veteran uh, audience. And so I often feel unqualified to guide them because they're they're in a class of their own that they really are. But what I would do is say is say this, um, you know, if you've got a passion that you have derived because of your service, if you've become attached to a cause, if you become attached to a legacy that you're trying to leave, if there's if if you are changed in some way um, because of your service, then consider turning you know that passion into something that you can monetize. Um, you know, I see a lot of veterans, even, you know, in, in, in my world, they come from the service and then they'll, they'll go on and they'll do other things that are not related to what they learned in the service. And, and that's okay. But a lot of them have something inside of them that they've earned from the service. And, and I think if you can take whatever that is that you've earned through that experience and find a way to monetize that, because there's always a way to monetize things, you know, um, that would be the advice that I would give. But I give it with hesitation because I don't really feel qualified to serve that elite group. And, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just a mental block of mine, you know. Um, so yeah, that's my answer. Well, that's, I mean, that's great praise for, for our community. And my brothers and sisters would love hearing that. And uh, I think any advice you give them, they'll, they'll take, because they, a lot of, a lot of that, that family believe, are pretty humble. And they, they take all advice and they, they try to write down everything again and then use all of it to build their toolbox and then drive forward and be better, bigger and better than they were yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my family is not a military family. My family is a police family. And so oh. my, my entire family were police officers. Uh, and uh, I'm the only adult male in my entire extended family never to have been a police officer. And, and one of the reasons why I didn't become a police officer is uh, my father was in, in charge of what in, in, in this country we call morality squad, which is, I guess, kind of like vice in the US. But he, he was a very high ranking, very decorated police officer. Um, but over the years, and, and I honored his work and I wanted to be a police officer for you know, my whole childhood. But as he became closer to the end of his career, I noticed that he became very uh, jaded and very kind of angry. And I remember thinking, I don't, I don't wanna be I don't want to, I don't want to be angry like that when, you know, when I reach my forties and fifties and all my uncles and cousins were all on the on the police force. And I saw them go through a lot of different things that I just didn't want to go through. And, um, and so I kind of broke the mold and I went into the speaking business and took a different path, but um, I was exposed to all of this police, <laughs> pardon me, this police work over my entire life, you know? Um, and so it's kind of the same for me when I talk about police officers and I talk about about the military, they're kind of in, they're different, you know, the different categories, but at the, the same level of honor for me. Definitely. Uh, our first responders here are police officers that we, I've seen them go through the, the mental uh, ups and downs of, of mm. everything. Because the things they have to see, sometimes they're, they're the person that gets to, well, has, has the un, undue honor of having to tell someone their, their son or daughter has died in a car wreck, or they've seen that young kid that had something horrible happen to them. And that stays with them forever. And that's, 
why they kind of like your dad became kind of jaded towards the end of his, especially the work he was doing on the morality force. Like you said, is like our vice. So that sees the worst of the worst. Well, that's and, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Worst yeah. of the worst. And there was one police officer I trained who, um, he was, a he was a colleague of my father's and, um, he was on the police force. And as a young police officer, there was a story where, uh, this, this cop, um, had shot a bad guy. It was a bank robber. Uh, he shot the bad guy because the bad guy reached into his pocket and was pulling his hand out. So boom, he shot him as he was trained. Turned out the bad guy was pulling out the money. Uh, and so he was unarmed at the wow. time. And so this police officer uh, went through serious post-traumatic stress disorder for years and years and years and years. But then he, he recovered and he wrote a book about the entire message. Now he's built a second career as a retired police officer. He works with police departments all around the nation and other uh, um, first responder organizations to build peer support programs for post-traumatic stress. Uh, and so he wrote a book and he needed to learn how to bring his message to the stage. So like, that's one example where, you know, somebody came to me and said, I, I really need to get this message out perfectly, you know, properly. So, so I helped him and trained him with his speaking. So every now and then I'll get somebody that comes through like that, who has that kind of a message. And that's why Rich, that's why I think it's just so important that when people have a message that they've earned in a line of duty, whatever duty that is, they need to tell these stories because there are people out there who need to hear these stories. Right. There's always someone hungry to hear a story and, and learn from the trials and tribulations of your journey as you went forward. And I'm mm -hmm. sure everyone in the police, the police world or fire departments, EMS, and of course, military, we have seen a lot of things that no one ever wants to see. Mm -hmm. But those stories do need to be told and how they dealt with it or how they made it over that bridge at the end of it. And now they're doing better things and living a, a productive life on the other side. 100%. Yeah. Uh, last question. How did, what's the single most important secret? for someone to become a rock star speaker? <laughs> the single most important secret? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's this. The single most important um, secret is to let your guard down, let your barriers down. I mean, you need to learn skills for sure. Um, there is theater involved and there's artistry and all, all of those things. But I think the most important thing is you need to learn to let people see who you actually really are. Not necessarily all the time, but when you're speaking amongst all the theater and the performance and all of the, you know, all, all of those things, you need to be able to draw the curtain back and let people see who you actually really are. And, and that's so important, I think, because whether you're speaking on a big platform to thousands of people or even on a Zoom call like this with just a few people, they want to know who they're dealing with they, and they want to know who's on the other end of this camera, who's on the other end of, you know, of, you know, the, the person on the stage, who's actually in there. And it's re remarkably difficult for a lot of people to let that happen. And, and a lot of people are taught not to let that happen. They spend their whole lives, you know, being taught, don't show weakness, don't show your vulnerable side, don't show who you really are. You need to, you need to be in character all the time, you know? And, uh, and I just think that the most powerful speakers that I know, the ones that people really love, um, they pull the curtain back every now and then, and they, they show what's really there, whatever it is, whatever it is, you know, I think that's the most important thing. I was saying, let your barriers down and, uh, go forward. That's an awesome, awesome bit of advice right there. Uh, Steve, how does someone get in contact with you to either have you on their show or to even book you to speak at an event for them? Yeah. Best way is really simple. It's my website, man. Steve Lowell.com. Everything is there. Awesome. One-stop shopping. That's amazing. 
A lot of, a lot yep. of people make you go eight different ways. That's awesome. One stop. Nope, one stop. <laughs> I mean, I'm all over the social media and everything too. Is, you know, there's LinkedIn and Facebook. I mean, I'm all, I'm all out there, but it's all on my website. Go to my website. All the links are there. It's, it's um, really easy. Outstanding. Uh, Steve, thanks again for taking some of your time out of your day to day to spend with us here and the Misfit Nation. Oh, listen, it's, it's been my pleasure. And, uh, um, you know, I know we're from different countries, but uh, thank you, you and your colleagues for your service, because, uh, you know, it affects all of us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh,
You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Fit Nation.